Hello, Lanky Nation. This is Ray DeLucci of the Lanky Thoughts Podcast. On this episode, I get to interview Andrew Friedman. Andrew is the host of Andrew Talks to Chefs, which is a great podcast that I would encourage you all to listen to, especially during this time. Um, basically, he talks to some of the best chefs around the world, and now during the time of the quarantine, he's been doing these special reports where he talks to chefs about how they're managing to deal with all of the things going on in the world right now and all the impacts that we're seeing uh, forced onto the restaurant industry. So I really think his podcast is something to look into if you're trying to get some content during this time uh, in terms of what chefs are doing. He's put out a lot of great stuff over the last few weeks. And so I really wanted to bring him back on and kind of first talk about everything going on with the quarantine and kind of just pick his brain and get his thoughts. Uh, He also is the author of Chefs, Drugs, and Rock and Roll. And um, I do know him as someone who has uh, watched the industry closely for quite a while. And I just thought his experience, uh, take, and knowledge of the industry would be very great to have in terms of talking through this time in the quarantine. So really not an episode of getting to know him, but more so just us kind of trying to pick apart what's going on right now and maybe determining what the future might hold for restaurants. And while we both don't have a crystal ball, as Andrew would say, to, to look forward into the restaurant industry, I think it is important to kind of reflect and think of the impact it's going to have so that in some way we are prepared of what's going to happen once this is all said and done. So whether or not we're right is yet to be uh, determined, but we definitely wanted to, I definitely wanted to chat with him about it and see what his thoughts are, uh, knowing that he has seen the industry grow and evolve and hopefully using his insight, we'll be able to prepare for where it's going to go. So Andrew, thank you so much for coming on. Everyone listening, definitely go check out his podcast. And here we go. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, Andrew, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Ray, it's good to be back on. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that you were able to make the time to do this. Uh, first off, before we get going, uh, I would, would like to say thank you for the podcast you've been putting out. Um, for those of you who may not know, Andrew does run a podcast uh, called Andrew Talks to Chefs. And basically, over the last few weeks, he's dedicated his time to, uh, usually, like throughout the weekdays, putting out episodes, talking to different chefs, getting their uh, take on what's going on with the coronavirus pandemic. And so I just thought it was really interesting and really honorable that you would take the time to do that over the last few weeks. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's been, it's actually been very gratifying. I've heard, I've never heard from more listeners before. People seem to appreciate it, need it. I I mean, I don't want to sound self-important, but um, uh, to be honest, when I started doing it, it was probably a little bit selfish, just, you know, trying to find a way to uh, participate in some way and be useful in some way. Uh, but the, the reaction from listeners has been very, um, gratifying. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of get where you're coming from. Um, you know, and when I first started doing it, like more podcasts during this time, I was like, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be bothering people. I don't know if anyone's really going to want to sit down and talk, but as I started doing it over the last few days, I realized that everyone kind of wants to just, you know, a lot of people, really do want to get through this together and really have this community of chefs because 
I feel like when we're at work and we're, you know, all working in the kitchen, we have that community. But now that we're at home, we don't really have those people we talk to every day. So I do think podcasts like yours are needed during this time. Well, thanks. And I mean, I'm sure you probably find this. I don't know if you would put this word to it, but, you know, I think when people, uh, you know, have a conversation with with somebody like you or somebody like me, I mean, technically it's an interview, but this is a traumatic time. And I think people, whether they realize it or not, use these interviews as a way to help them process. You know, I, I don't want, mm-hmm. I don't want to get too, uh, you know, I don't want to start throwing around terms like psychotherapy or things like that. <laughs> but I do think for people having somebody who just wants to hear what they're thinking and what they're feeling and what they're going through is something that everybody could use right now. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, you know, it is my goal to like have a lot more people on as we get through this. But um, I think what it's shown me over the last few weeks is that, you know, obviously, and I'm sure you feel the same way, is that every cook, every chef has a story to tell, has a way of, you know, or has something that they want to share to, with the world. Um, but I guess what I realized is that that sharing is what I feel like makes us better as an industry. Um, and just the amount of support for each other and the amount of just content that's been being put out by chefs like putting out cooking videos and you know putting out how to's to chefs starting coalitions to help you know get congress on the right side of things in terms of saving restaurants like it just shows how much we are willing to help and be there for each other yeah yeah 100 percent. i mean you know all the all the you know a lot of the things people say about the industry are very uh they sound very trite we've heard them a million times uh but they're they're all true you know I mean, I don't know how many people have reminded me in the last few weeks, not that I needed to be reminded, but, you know, the the terminology of a restaurant, a lot of it, you know, is based around the word family. You know, we talk about family meal and family meeting and, um, you know, and and that is, I think, how individual restaurants and how the industry has been responding to this moment. Now, that sounds like a very hokey thought, but it happens to be true. Yeah. No, yeah, you're right. Um, and so going into that idea, so I want to go back for, for you, like when this all started, um, how did you, like the first few days, cause I know when I saw you starting to put out like the, the reports that, um, obviously you had switched up your content model a little bit. What was it like the first few days when this started to happen for you? And like, when did you decide you would need to switch up and start doing more podcasts on a regular basis? Well, okay. So for me, the weekend, the weekend that I personally, um, I guess, in fully engaged with the crisis was the weekend of uh, Saturday and Sunday, March 14th and 15th. So my wife had been going to work and I live just north of New York City. My wife works in the city. She had been going to her office on the commuter train uh, every day until Thursday, March 12th. My kids were still in school up in Hastings on Hudson, which is the town where I live. They were Mm -hmm. still in school until Friday the 13th of March. Um, I was still coming into the city. I mean, I went in and I had a work lunch with somebody in Midtown on the the 11th. Um, uh, My wife's uh, company told people to start working from home after the 12th. My kid's school was shut down after the 13th. And that's the point where we put the family on lockdown. You know, we instituted basically our own, you know, shelter in place rule. Uh, we told the kids they couldn't hang out with their friends. 
you know, we, we just basically put ourselves in lockdown and, you know, some people I think thought we were being a little crazy, but, you know, as you know, within a few days, I can't remember exactly what the date was in Chicago, but by the next Tuesday, um, you know, New York restaurants got the shutdown order and, um, and probably to be honest, my opinion, uh, the city, uh, move too quickly to, to put other things like the school system in lockdown um, mm-hmm. and or, or rather too slowly. But we uh, so that was for, for us, it all sort of snowballed, you know, Saturday, the 14th, Sunday, the 15th, Monday, the 16th, by Tuesday, the 17th. I mean, I don't live in Manhattan anymore, but the feeling of of kind of fear um, and and confusion uh, and shock in the industry from where I sit was palpable. Like I could really feel, I mean, and also because we're living in 2020, you know, you could see it on social media and, you know, you could just see how upset and scared everybody was. Um, so that was when it all sort of, uh, kind of clicked in for me. I, I started doing my nightly shows actually that Wednesday, which in hindsight, that was really fast. You know, it, it was weird because the days were very long. It didn't feel that fast when I did it. I felt like I'd been kind of looking for something to do that whole week. Um, and then I, you know, I called up my promotional partner, the San Pellegrino, and I asked them if they would cover an engineer for five nights a week for a period of time. And they immediately, they said, they said, yes, they were great about it. Um, uh, cause that was more of an expense that I could bear. And, mm-hmm. um, and then we were off to the races, you know, and it was, uh, uh, you know, to be honest, I'm still not quite in the rhythm. It's a lot, you know, it's just me. I mean, I do the, I book it, I do as you do, I book it. I, I do the interviewing, I do all the social media, I edit my show. You know, I do have an engineer who I send my audio to, who cleans it up a little, uh, you know, mixes it, drops in the theme music and that kind of thing. But I do most of the work mm-hmm. and, you know, I am doing other work and it's hugely time consuming. I, you know, as I'm talking to you here on a Thursday at one thirty, you know, I still haven't finished my show for the day, you know, and I have to send it in by 4 PM and that's pretty typical for me, but I've gotten used mm-hmm. to the, I've gotten used to the stress. It's kind of like having a service, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is stressful. Uh, I mean, I think the, I guess the thing with me is I really don't, you know, being like very, uh, I guess, low key with the podcast or not having as much production or what have you, I really don't have deadlines. So I could only imagine what it would be like to, you know, not only have to record the podcast, but make sure the guests, you know, are there on time in terms of being willing to record. And then also, you know, being able to put it out on time. I mean, you are dealing with chefs who are dealing with a pandemic. So it's been pretty awesome to see everyone kind of give you the time to, you know, sit down and talk for a little bit. Thanks. Yeah, it's been, um, and people have been great about it. I have to say, you know, um, uh, you know, I had maybe the third or fourth show. I had Phil Rosenthal, you know, the guy who does the Netflix show, Somebody Feed Phil. Um, mm-hmm. Now he's been on the show once before, but we don't, we're not like buddies, you know, we don't hang out. And I sent him an email that weekend and I said, Hey, you know, chefs could use a laugh. Would you come on my show? And he wrote me back in like 10 minutes and was like, sure. You know? (laughs) Um, 
people have been really great. People have been really great. Um, uh, so, and I do think anyone who's in the business or even if they're retired and have been in the business, I do think they understand how disconnected uh, cooks and chefs are feeling right now from all aspects of your lives, you know, like from, you know, not spending the, the number of hours you spend at a restaurant every day, not being in the physical company of the people you're used to being with all day, not having the rhythm of sort of a prep day that builds to a service and then whatever you do after work, you know, to wind down, like, those things are so ingrained in people like you and people you work with that, you know, I think beyond the the stress of, of the economy and when places are going to open again and is everybody going to get rehired and are customers going to come back and when's this all going to happen? You know, I think on top of all that, you guys are all deprived of uh, your, 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 you know, the, the biorhythms of your life. And I, I that's got to be incredibly yeah. difficult. I mean, I... I happen to be a writer, you know, the main, the main adjustment to my work life is that now, you know, there's three other people in my house when I'm trying to get my work done. You know, I might, you know, <laughs> I, I work at home. I'm used to having the place to myself. Um, you know, but my, you know, I, I wasn't uprooted from my place of business, you know? So, yeah. um, relatively speaking, I've had it, I've had it pretty easy on that front, but I do know what it feels like to have uh, a disorienting change being inflicted on you. And I think that's what cooks are going through right now. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree. I'm, <laughs> you know, so, like most of the time it's been good. Um, but sometimes it's like kind of crazy just being in the house and, you know, so used to walking, like if like, I usually wear an Apple watch and I'm usually getting in over 20,000 steps a day and to kind of, you know, be walking around <laughs> from, you know, my desk to my, kitchen and that's pretty much it um it is kind of nuts you know the kind of it, it does you don't realize it at first but it is kind of uh i guess shocking to realize how much you move and then to go to not really getting to move that much at all is kind of i don't know it's hard not hard i want to say it's hard because i feel like i feel lucky and safe and what you know i don't really see it too negatively but i could imagine that it could be hard for a lot of people who are used to that rhythm every single day yeah, I mean, obviously it's case by case, but I, I have been hearing from a lot of people how just absolutely cut off they feel, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wanted to get into a little bit more about your, I guess, your work. So like following your Instagram, following your podcast, something big that I wanted to discuss with you is uh, the closing of Gotham Bar and Grill. I do know that it had a large importance on the restaurant industry, but I obviously was not around um, enough to know just how big of an impact it was and also how big of an impact it is to be closing. So I was wondering if you can go into it a little bit about Gotham, because I know you spent some time kind of reflecting on the restaurant. Yeah, I mean, well, I, you know, full disclosure, the Gotham, my, my writing career basically started there. Um, uh, the chef, the original, well, not the original, but uh, the, the chef who came in during the restaurant's first year in business, which he came in in 1985, uh, his name is Alfred Portali. Uh, he was there until last year. So he was there for about 35 years. And, uh, you know, Alfred was one of the most influential American chefs of the 80s and 90s. 
Uh, he happened to be the guy who gave me my big break. I co-authored the Gotham Barn Grill cookbook, and I did two other books with him. They uh, they were very instrumental in me learning about chefs and, and cookbooks and the food world. Uh, but Alfred was mm-hmm. one of the people. I mean, he, he wasn't he, he was alive in the 70s. He got known in the 80s. Um, you know, he kind of came in right after people like Jonathan Waxman and and Jeremiah Tower and people like that. Um, but Alfred, uh, you know, was very, uh, I mean, the restaurant was important for several reasons. One was his food, which took influences. This is very, this won't sound at all radical when I describe it, but, you know, on his menu, he would have, uh, you know, dishes that had influences like couscous and, and ginger, you know, and, and, uh, he had a pasta and often a risotto (laughs) on the menu um, but, you know, mixed in with things that were kind of his riff on classic French dishes. And he just had this really incredible sensibility where he could mingle all these things, but they all seemed to belong on the same menu. They all seemed kind of vaguely, you know, what, what people called new American. Uh, his food visually was very arresting. It, it was known as tall food at the time. And a lot of people imitated it very poorly. Alfred's food was very beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. and then, and then the restaurant was, you know, uh, it, it was much like Jeremiah Towers restaurant stars in San Francisco, which opened in the same year as Gotham. It was this kind of big, loud, modern American brasserie that had, you know, well over 150 seats, uh, that had a bar where you could eat if you wanted to, or hang out. Um, it had a lot of energy. You could come in there in a tuxedo or in blue jeans, you know, and be fine either way. And, uh, it was a very democratic in terms of how they treated people. You didn't get kind of, you didn't get the, the B treatment if you were not a celebrity. I mean, that was very important to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, very progressive in its wine list and its cocktail program. I mean, one of the restaurants that, to be honest, just, you know, helped sort of, established what it meant to be a modern American restaurant in ways that still, you know, ripple through to today. Um, You know, the owners tried to keep it going. Alfred left the restaurant to go open his own place called Portali, uh, Mm -hmm. Italian, modern Italian restaurant, which is very good. Obviously, like everything else right now, it's closed until further notice. Um, And, you know, the, the Gotham owners brought in Victoria Blamey, a chef who had gotten a lot of attention at Chumley's a few years ago in New York City. And Victoria, you know, uh, uh, came up with an entire new menu. She got three stars from the New York Times. And the restaurant seemed poised to maybe have one more chapter in it, which was sort of amazing. Um, But, you know, that's a big dining room. I don't think they ever quite were filling the seats the way they needed to, 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 to keep going. And and then when this pandemic hit, that was that was the death blow. So uh, they called it, you know, they threw in the towel. They called it quits. Um, yeah. It's a shame because they really tried to make a go of it with this young, you know, new chef who's had uh, her own take on what kind of food that space could uh, be a home to. But just it just did, you know, it, it, it was like a perfect storm of things that kind of took it out. So. Um, rest in peace to the Gotham Bar and Grill. But it, for me personally, it was very sad. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I would imagine. Um, and it, it's just crazy to see how, I guess how, like, I think what shocked me the most is how much success a restaurant can have over the years. And then also how quickly a restaurant will, you know, close. I mean, obviously, we've never seen a pandemic like this, but it it is scary to think that, you know, after maybe a week or week and a half of not, you know, being open, that the decision had to be made. Like, I'm sure like a month ago, that was not even a thought in their heads that the restaurant would close. But like within literally days, uh, it went, you know, it, it was closed and it was uh, a staple in New York City dining. And I don't know, it's just, it's crazy to see that. And I'll, although I wasn't, like, like I said, really around to see how great Gotham was in its prime, like I still do know that it was a big deal watching that restaurant kind of close its doors finally. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, I think it's it dovetails with the whole conversation about what is going on with the entire industry right now. You know, um, uh, you know that so Gotham was functioning, and then that actually that same weekend on on Friday the thirteenth of March, I got a mass email that that announced they were going to close the next day. They were going to do one more night of service, and. Um, but you know, that often happens, right? Like you often see restaurants that they're open, they're open, they're open. And then all of a sudden, and, and often the staff finds out, you know, with just a day's notice, you know, we're, we're closing tomorrow, you know, we're closing after service tomorrow. Hmm. Why does that happen? It happens for the same reason that the majority of independent restaurants in the United States right now are completely up in arms and don't know what their future will be, which is that the margins are so tight, you know, the, they function, you know, much like their employees live paycheck to paycheck restaurants mm-hmm. basically function, you know, revenue to revenue, uh, you know, uh, uh, in week to week in terms of income. Uh, yeah. uh, and I think that's why so often the decisions seem very sudden when in fact, you know, in most cases, I think the owners have probably, you know, if it's a, if it's a single person in their mind or if it's a group of people, they've been having private conversations. You know, usually have probably been wrestling with the fact of whether or not they should close for weeks or months. You know, I mean, I, I had a friend years ago. I remember very vividly telling me, you know, I might have to close. I might not be able to make payroll next week. We might have to close the restaurant, you know, and he meant for good. And that was a stunning comment to me. Um, uh, the place wasn't empty. It just wasn't doing enough, you know? And no. uh, so I think, it, you know, I, I think it was interesting. The Gotham, for whatever reason, I mean, the people who own it have other, they all have other lines of work. Um, you know, they're very successful people. I, I don't know what the terms of the lease or how much it costs them to finally close it. But, you know, they're not your typical uh, independent restaurant tours, you know, I, I, I worry for, you know, the, the, the 30 something year old chef or, you know, or, or, or chef and business partner, you know, in New York, let's say who got a place open in Brooklyn and, you know, managed to cobble together the money. Maybe they did all the design, you know, themselves, maybe they built it out themselves and, they're in their first year or two of business. I mean, I don't, how are those people going to get through this moment? That's, I, I, that's, I mean, I worry about those people. I hope there will be enough help 
from you know from the from the national and local governments. I hope they'll be able to to reopen. Yeah, uh, I mean, I agree. I mean, I also worry about those chefs because, you know, obviously, if you have a larger restaurant group, you do have a little bit more funding. But like you said, if it is a more independent restaurant that, you know, is just barely getting by. I mean, I just, I thought, I've thought on multiple occasions, n- not really anyone I really know, but just this idea of, wow, like getting your restaurant open and springtime coming and getting ready to do like a really great, um, just really great like work. And then all of a sudden, you know, this happens and your dreams are crushed. I mean, I, I, I just don't even know how I would even begin to handle that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is where I think the unknowable timeline works to people's psychological benefit because it's giving people time. You know, people, a lot of people have described this moment as sort of a grieving process and I think it's giving people time to get their head around whatever is going to happen, you know, um, yeah. uh, and kind of settle into this, into this uh, nightmare, you know, as opposed to being, finding out all at once, you, you know, you restaurateur A are going to be able to open and you restaurant B are not going to be able to open. I think it's kind of an open question for almost everybody. Um, and then, I mean, to be honest, and I'm not the first one to say this, but when places do reopen, you know, it's not like they're going to reopen to like hordes of people like storming the doors. I'm, no. There's going to be a ramp up. You know, people are going to be skittish to come in. Um, uh, people might want more distance between tables. Uh, you know, restaurant operators are going to have to deal with maybe having fewer seats to sell. Um, you know, a lot of people are taking pay cuts or losing value in their 401ks. So, you know, people who do come in, the check average might be lower. There's all kinds of factors that are going to make up the matrix of what happens to everybody. So I just think every, it's another cliche. I just think everyone's going to have to go one step at a time and do the best they can and try to make it work. I mean, I do sense a lot of resolve though. I mean, most people I've spoken to are really hell bent on, on getting back. Yeah. And um, I just think it's, uh, I don't know. I, it's interesting to see or think or ponder what the restaurant industry is going to be like. I mean, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but like what major change, what other major changes do you think we're going to see over the next two years? I would say after this pandemic's over in restaurants. Yeah. in restaurants and dining in general, in terms of how we, uh, I mean, part of it's hard for me to imagine. And again, I think, I think the extent of the changes are going to depend on how soon it is that we do get back to places being open. But um, uh, I, I mean, there's a few things I'm pretty sure will happen. One is I do think for at least a while, people are going to want a little more space. You know, I think restaurateurs yeah. might have to get their head around moving some tables out of the dining room. Uh, uh maybe limiting how crowded their bar will be. I mean, these are things people I think are going to want. Um, I could very easily see people, you know, Friday night after work and you look at a restaurant, the bars, you know, really crowded and you say, I'm not going in there. Yeah. I could see that happening. Um, uh, uh, I, I think, you know, a lot of places that never did or never considered doing delivery or takeout, you know, places with Michelin stars, uh, <laughs> uh, 
uh, are doing that now. I, I don't think that's going to go away. I think I think that's going to be, you know, a valuable square in the sort of patchwork uh, quilt that people are going to have to put together to meet, pay their bills. You know, so I think some of these, I think a lot of these higher end restaurants are going to keep having takeaway and delivery. Um, yeah. I think they've learned how to do it well. I think they've developed menus for it. I think they've figured out the right packaging and how to, you know, the timing. And yeah. I, I don't think they're going to turn off that revenue faucet. I think they're going to keep it going. You know, I think you might see places that maybe they're going to put a door in, you know, uh, next, you know, like at one end of the, at one end of the property where, where or a window or takeout is handed out, you know, um, I think that might happen. Uh, I don't see why that would go away. People, can can make up a lot of their, you know, it's not enough to get people through forever, but it, as as part of the, as part of a short term or even long term, um, uh, calculation, I think that could be a valuable component, you know, um, mm-hmm. and do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I mean, I totally agree with. Uh, I do think takeout is going to be here for a long time. I do think it's going to be a mode of how we dine now. I think that. I see a future where instead of instead of like a blogger or someone Instagramming about, I mean, we're seeing it happen already. Like an Instagrammer blogging about going out to a meal with their friends, they're going to be um, like, say for example, oh, look at this beautiful meal prepared by Alinea at our table, and all I've had my friends over, I've chosen the wine, and they've had, they brought the food. Like I see a, a, a future almost where that, I mean, isn't all the dining, but a good part of it will be that for at least some time. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, I've asked this question of certain chef friends of mine and they, they, the ones who were doing takeout or are still doing it, they don't see stopping, you know, and then, and then the thing I'm wondering, which I haven't really had a chance to explore, but I wonder if um, more restaurants, I don't know whether they would um, necessarily reconfigure their dining rooms to create two separate areas, or if they would just have two separate experiences on offer and some restaurants already do this right but i could see a restaurant let's say a restaurant that's pitched at the you know kind of toward the high end not you know not like three michelin star expensive but you know but not a casual restaurant you know a destination restaurant with a name chef right so i could see possibly a restaurant like that having you know, a lower price menu that they've developed to accommodate what I think is going to be the short term reality of people trying to keep to budgets. Um, but then also maybe having a more high end menu or tasting of some kind also available for people, you know, on the higher end of the wealth uh, spectrum who still are going to want to come in and have that experience and spend a lot on wine and um, you know, I think maybe places are going to, are going to have to sort of, uh, get a little split personality in that way, um, mm-hmm. to offer different things to different people. Now, I don't know if places would go so far as to do something like a Gramercy Tavern does in New York, where there's, you know, the sort of more casual room up front with the different menu and then the formal room in the back. Um, yeah. I think, I think it could just be mingled within the same dining room, uh, I mean, both both experiences could even be on the menu, or or maybe you, if you're going to do a tasting, maybe that's something you have to reserve for, 
you know, so that they can get their reservation booked right. But um, I could see something like that also. I, I think restaurants are going to really, to me, part of what the struggle is going to be, and I'm not an expert on the economics of restaurants. I'm not a restaurant consultant. This is just me thinking out loud and having had some informal conversations with people. But I think they're going to have to be, without giving up their own personality, without sacrificing what makes them who they are, I think they're going to have to be as many different things to as many different people as possible for, I think, a good year, year and a half, to, till things hopefully get back to some semblance of what they were, you know, a month ago. Yeah, I agree. Um, and even more so, I would like to, I will not forget restaurants, obviously, but get away from the actual aspect of the restaurant and go so more so into the idea of being a chef. Um, I feel like we've had this like golden age over the last two, three decades of, you know, what it's like to be a chef. And, you know, it's been amazing. Uh, the creative bounds we've made and the progress we've made in the kitchen and the culture and everything in between. I do wonder after this is all said and done because of how uh, documented our industry has been in terms of, you know, people like losing jobs and just in general, the industry kind of getting hit really hard. I do wonder what the desire is to be a chef after this. I mean, I'm sure I know there's going to still be a lot of people who want to cook and, you know, be in the kitchen per se, but I wonder if, the idea of being a chef kind of dwindles a little bit because of this. And I think that's another worry that while not important in right now, I do think we'll have impacts in the future. Yeah. I mean, that's something I've been wondering about. I don't know. Um, boy, that, that I don't even have, I don't, I have, I really don't have a sense of what that's going to look like. I mean, I really, really don't because uh, is, you know, our, I mean, in some respects, I could see food that often is taken for granted, that often doesn't get recognized, rising to the top. Um, you know, I'm older than you are, but, you know, I remember after the September 11 attacks uh, 19 years ago, you know, uh, a lot of the kind of frou-frou, high-end food, what some people call tweezer food, you know, a lot <laughs> of that stuff um, was a, not really of interest to people for a while. Uh, uh, you know, people were much more interested in quote unquote comfort food, you know? Um, and I could see coming out of this period and having a dining population that's much more interested in, you know, if you want to talk about chefs who are known, who are maybe much more interested in the, like people who operate in like the regional Italian mode, you know, or the or the relatively traditional Chinese mode, um, or even, you know, sushi, which tends to, for the most part, be traditional, you know, what we're offered. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if the sort of more uh, artistic, personalized, complex, uh, uh, expensive, always, you know, we're talking expensive when we talk about what I'm about to mention. Um, you know, is that food going to take a big hit? Are people not going to be as interested in it? Is that going to seem frivolous? Um, that's that's unknowable to me. I don't. I wonder about it, and I don't have a clear take on it. Um, uh, it's it's not clear to me whether or not that's going to seem to be kind of out of step with with kind of the psyche of the masses. You know, that's 
I just don't know. I don't know. I think that's a very tough one to predict. I don't, my crystal ball is completely foggy on that one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, same. Uh, I really don't, I obviously don't know either. Um, my best guess, I have a couple of things, I guess that I was thinking about is a, like, you know, someone like me, I went to culinary school for four years. I went two years for an associate's degree, two years for a bachelor's degree. I worry about the viability of going to get a culinary degree or the want to go get a four-year degree in an industry that, you know, took a hit as hard as this. Um, and I also worry about, like you said, I worry that I do worry that art in the food industry will be slowed down by this. I don't want to see that happen. Um, but I do think that, like you said, a lot more comfort food is going to take place. But I also do see a big interest or a bigger interest in the fermentation movement. I mean, I don't know if you, I'm sure you've seen like people are at home are learning how to make sourdough and kimchi and everything else in between. And while a lot of people are like laughing about it almost as like a trend, I do think that that type of eating and the interest in that from restaurants is going to be uh, more dominant as we move forward. I do see that as something that will be, I don't know. I think that's going to be a big factor in marketing and, you know, getting people to show up at your door. Hey, we do make our own bread and house through fermentation and we have been pickling. And I think people are going to find more connection with that going forward. That's like, that's my biggest, I guess, take on it is that the fermentation side is going to be really good with marketing towards people. Yeah, well, it's funny. You know, I had a couple of uh, independent booksellers on my podcast the other night, and one of them was saying that they, I mean, everyone, as you you know, if you look at Instagram, like you said, you know, everybody's baking right now. Um, but this this uh, Kitchen Arts and Letters in New York was pushing um, fermentation books, like in their, I think they were actually about to do an email blast about it. And um you know, that makes total sense right now. I mean, it's it's a home project. It takes up time. It's a way to extend mm-hmm. the life of, you know, various ingredients and also make them more interesting. So I, I do think there is that piece. I mean, the, the thing, though, that cuts in favor of, of you know, more chef-driven restaurants, let's call them, is... I don't know about you, but I'm already dying to get out of my house, you know? So I think, <laughs> yes. you know, where do you want to go? I mean, I, I, I was telling a friend of mine the other day, like about once a day, there's a place called Bar Taco uh, in the town of Portchester. It's about 20 minutes from where we live. It's right on the water. You know, in the spring and summer, my wife go there a lot and we drink margaritas and eat tacos. And, and, mm-hmm. and about once a day in my mind, I think, oh, you know what? I'll have, let's, I'll maybe Kate and I'll go there tonight. And then I have to stop myself and go, no, you can't go there. It's, it's closed. You, you just, you can't go, you can't go anywhere. And yeah. I, I think by the time this is over, we're all going to be like bucking Broncos, you know, like ready to, <laughs> for the gate to open and get to restaurants yeah. again. I mean, I am done. I have, I started having dreams recently where I'm just like in a restaurant, like the, nothing even happens in the dream. You know, I'm just, I, I wake up and I, I have a vague recollection that I've had a dream that I was in a restaurant with somebody. Um, I mean, the, 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 the way we're all kind of pining for that experience is powerful. And that works in the, that works against everything we were just saying for, you know, all the negative stuff we were just saying for five or six minutes. I think yeah. what works, you know, the positive uh, uh, side of it, the thing that works in everybody's favor in your business is people are like going nuts and it's going to, it's going to be a while. I don't know what they're saying where you are, but 
Yeah. I mean, I just saw I just about an hour or two before you and I spoke, I saw Governor Cuomo's daily briefing and he wasn't even willing to hazard a guess that June would be, you know, the city would be reopened, New York City. I mean, that's two months away. You know, yeah. can you imagine how 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 desperate we're all going to be to to just like run out the door to the nearest restaurant? Yeah. And I, I mean, I hope and I kind of think that's what's going to happen. And I, you know, as. Uh, you know, whether or not it happens, you know, I don't know where it's going to happen, but I do know that people are going to go back out to eat. Um, I mean, I have the same, it's odd, odd enough that you mentioned tacos. There's this place called Velvet Taco that I really enjoy that I usually go to once a week. Um, on a day off, I'll go and get tacos and eat and, you know, sit on social media for about an hour. And it's kind of my place to go and enjoy really good food and be away from really everyone I know. And, I think a lot of people are missing that experience as well. And while I think, you know, COVID-19 is going to maybe diminish that a little bit, I do still think people are going to want to get out to restaurants and their favorite cafes and whatever, and just go sit and have that time to themselves. I don't see people kind of disbanding from that. I do think there's a lot to be, there's, you know, there's restaurants act as a place for people to go and get away from the rest of their lives. And I do think that that's going to be needed a lot after this is all said and done. Yeah, for sure. And that's not to mention the bar business. I'm... Yeah. No. Which I think which I think based on that based on the cons- based on the consumption in my house, I think the bar business will be robust. Yeah, I definitely think so as well. Um and like I I mean how just like so many little things that like are not in people's lives anymore. I mean just alone not being able to go to starbucks like for some people that's the highlight of that's a staple of their morning you know like i love going to starbucks and just writing and being in that like uh you know in that type of atmosphere and i don't know i've i think people are going to still go back to that well i'll tell you something funny we live in the suburbs and twice in the last week when i have had to run you know, an errand, which we're doing almost none of, but, um, I, I've gone by two Starbucks, uh, different ones. Uh, so I live just North of New York city in Westchester County. And mm-hmm. at both of these Starbucks I drove by, there were the longest lines of cars that I have ever seen for their drive through. And, <laughs> and all I could think was, uh, you know, what, I mean, I have nothing against them, but it's just like, that's one thing I would never go out for right now. You know, I, I, no. uh, I, I make, it's the first thing I do when I get up is I walk my dog and I make coffee. Um, there's no need to go do that. But I think, again, it does speak to these rituals, you know, which is what you and I are both saying. And I think, I think that is amazing that people were in lines of cars, like 15 cars long to get a, you know, a latte or get a coffee. I mean, it, it was mind boggling to me. And I think all that <clears throat> does argue for people getting back into restaurants sooner than later. You know, I, I, I really think it does. Um, especially in a big, you know, if you live in a big city or like, I mean, I live in technically in the suburbs, but I spend most of my time in New York City. I mean, it, they're just, all these things are such a part of your life, you yeah. know, um, both both the. Uh, both the places that are sort of our regular places. And then, you know, if you, if you live on foot as most New Yorkers do, 
Um, you know, the spontaneity, it's very normal for me to be walking from somewhere in Manhattan to Grand Central Station to get my train home and just spontaneously duck into a restaurant I like or even a, a place I've never tried, you know, and just, uh, you know, get a burger at the bar or get a margarita <clears throat> or something like that. You know, that's that's part of what makes, I think, city dwelling so great is the ability to have that spontaneity. And yeah. I think I think most people in cities, I mean, if you were going to start listing the things that are part of your, you know, your life, your quality of life, the things you hold dear to you, the things that you consider to be an institution in your own life, I think restaurants are really high on that list for most people, even if they're not foodies. You know, you, you, you're very focused on, you know, what you asked the chef question before that we're kind of talking about the more creative, artistic chefs. But that's not most chefs, you know, most, most chefs and cooks just work in, you know, standalone, independent, mom and pop, you know, neighborhood restaurants. And I'm not saying that at all as a criticism. That is most people. And I think that is where most diners actually eat, you know, if you did the math. Yeah. Um, you know, the famous people are like the one percenters of the restaurant world. So yeah. I, I do think that, you know, those places I think people have as much of a connection with as as I have to a place like Barbudo in New York City, you know, which is like a famous restaurant with a famous chef. And, you know, I love going there. And it's one of the places that's been on my mind lately that I miss, but because um, they had just reopened. But um, but for most people, it's just the neighborhood spot, you know, or the place where they go for dinner with their family on Sunday night, you know. Um, and I, yeah. I see people wanting to get back to that. I really do. I think that's going to be I think that's going to be part of the exhale that happens when we're finally able to, you know, re-engage with society. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, I pray and hope that that is the reality of it. Um, the, uh, so we're getting, we're coming to, I guess, the end of the episode. And the last thing that I really wanted to ask you, because, um, I mean, obviously the first time I ever met you was in school, uh, or I, we actually didn't meet, but I was at a, I guess it was like a, a conference where you were promoting chef uh, drugs and rock and roll, which is a great book uh, for anyone who wants to know, like the, I guess for me, it was like the history of the restaurant industry that I really didn't know about um, and how the American restaurant industry kind of formed. Um, but knowing how well you write, knowing how well you were able to tell a story, would you ever consider after this is all said and done, you know, you've been in close contact with many chefs and you've had your thumb on the pulse of the restaurant industry. Would you ever consider writing a book, I guess, capturing all this in terms of how we came together and the effects it had in a way that would allow us to kind of reflect on it and maybe not ever have this happen again. Wow. That's a very uh, perceptive question, Ray. Uh, I've been, I have been pondering whether or not I want to jump into that pool. I've actually been thinking very hard about it. Um, it'd be a big project to do right. Um, uh, it'd be a very painful thing to really get into the weeds on with people, you know? Um, mm. uh, but I don't mind sharing that I have been to the point that I've actually spoken to my agent about it. I've been thinking about possibly doing that. Um, uh, uh, you know, if the outcome isn't what I want it to be, I think it would almost be unbearable to write, to write a sad ending to that book. Um, yeah. if, if it is the outcome that I want, I think it would be maybe, you know, the greatest feeling I've had writing about anything. 
Um, I suspect what it's going to end up being is the story of how an, an industry evolved uh, for the sake of survival. That's what I think is most likely. Um, I don't think that's all bad, you know, necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's a very smart question. Yeah. I normally wouldn't answer that question, but what am I going to do? So, yes, I've, I've <laughs> been thinking very hard about it, to be honest. I think about it. Uh, I think about it every day and I've had conversations about maybe doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I hope I didn't put you on the spot, but I just, I, um, this is something that's going to change the industry forever. And there's writers like you and Michael Roman and, you know, plenty of other people who have written great books about our food industry and how it's evolved. And I just wonder what food writing will take on over the next few years, because this is something that's going to be on everyone's mind. And, you know, I, I, I find comfort, like, I just started reading MFK Fisher. I just read uh, The Gastronomical Me. Uh, I just finished it yesterday. And reading through her time, what dining was like and what she kind of went through and what she perceived, it was there was some sort of comfort in knowing that like she was recording it all and she was able to kind of put it on paper and evoke these emotions for me how many years later. And so I just wonder what authors of this time on food will come up with due to the coronavirus. And yeah, I mean... I mean, I've, you know, like I said, I enjoy your writing and I enjoy the work you do. So I've, I, if you did write that, I would read it, I guess is the, what I'm Thank trying to say. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I'm flattered by the question. Um, uh, yes. So the short answer is I'm, I'm thinking about it. It's, um, you know, the truth is Chef Drugs and Rock and Roll, which is the book you mentioned, my last book that took a long time to write. It was, it was very hard to whittle it down after all the interviews and everything. And, um, uh, this book could become very unwieldy, very fast, you know, there's mm-hmm. an endless number of people to be talked to. Um, so figuring out a way to do it in an efficient way that, that, that was still, uh, serious and respectful enough of the subject would be a big challenge. That's what, to me, the big challenge of it, you know, to not kind of, to not, start working on it and, and find yourself, you know, just doing 2000 interviews for 10 years, you know, cause that would be yeah. possible. That would be possible. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, I mean, I, this, I don't know how you felt, but for me, I do want to thank you for coming on because this conversation kind of helped me process and get through a lot of the thoughts I've been having. Um, you know, I thought it was a good and productive conversation. It, it, it's heavy times to talk about right now. And well, I would like to just focus on, you know, positive things. And I've, I've been trying to put out podcasts, you know, like my usual content where I tell like about chefs and people I don't know, but I also do want to rebound back and talk to people like you who I've talked with before and can kind of gauge the industry with. So I do want to thank you for taking the time to talk about it. I know it's not, I guess it's not the, I would not want to, you know, this isn't what I, my ideal podcast um, content, but I did want to end with asking you, what positive things have you picked up during this time or what have you noticed during this time about yourself or maybe some hobbies you might've picked up or just how are you spending the time to kind of positively get through this? Uh, Well, first of all, thanks for having me again. Um, It's my pleasure to come on. If you want to have me back, you know, when the, when the smoke clears and we have a sense of how things are shaking out, I'd be happy to come back and, you know, we can see how right we both were about what we thought might happen and not happen. Um, Mm -hmm. I'd be happy to do that, but no, I, I was totally to answer your first question. I was happy to come back on anytime. Um, and, um, uh, I mean, what have I learned? I mean, about 
Well, I mean, you know, I, I've said this before on my own show. You know, if this were a movie, you know, people would be, you know, we'd have uh, uh, marauding gangs in the street. We'd have looting. Um, uh, you know, we'd have neighbors getting into fistfights, you know, because somebody was playing their music too loud. You know, all this stuff we've seen in like apocalyptic movies. Um, for the most part, that hasn't happened. For the most part, people have been pretty great. You know, for the most part, people uh, are, are enduring this with, a, a, I think, a fair amount of dignity. Um, uh, and, and I think they're doing that uh, against, you know, what isn't the most necessarily reassuring uh, messaging coming from certain leadership circles. So, um, you know, I think it's it's uh, I, I think humanity, I think so far has has kind of stepped up in a good way. I mean, I hope that mm -hmm. holds. I think I hope that holds true. Um, I mean, yes, there are these news stories of people getting into a fist fight over the last thing of chicken at, you know, Safeway, but that's going to happen. That's going to happen. Yeah. Um, I mean, that could happen uh, at a Christmas sale. You know, that can happen. But for the most part, I think people have been great. Um, I mean, the 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 first responders and 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 the and the utility workers and. You know, even my the guy who brings us our mail. I mean, I heard a number the other day that like forty postal carriers have gotten sick with this thing. I mean, these people who are still just doing their jobs that kind of keep our cities and towns running. I, I'm just in awe of these people. You know, like the guys who came around, the garbage guys in my town who came around and did the weekly recycling pickup this morning. Um, you know, the people at my pharmacy that are still open. Um, that's all been amazing. Uh, for myself, I've I've uh, I, I I've learned that I have the capacity to function okay during a crisis. You know, I am working very hard. I've I've been quietly doing some writing for some um, restaurant advocacy uh, organizations, and and that's been good. Um, uh, but I've actually been more productive than I usually am, and I've I've actually been more focused and uh, able to meet deadlines than I usually am. I think the reason is just that there's something in me on the animal level that knows I don't really have an option right now. Um, and that's actually been good to know, you know, that, that I can keep a lot of balls in the air at a time like this when there is a lot that you could fixate on and be worried about and, and uh, uh, get depressed over. I'm not going to say I haven't had my moments. I have had moments where <clears throat> you know, I just walk away from my desk and I'll take a half hour and go sit in the living room by myself and, and uh, try to shake it off. Um, but by and large, I've been able to be, um, I think, I think, a, a, you know, a well-functioning organism right now. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I haven't taken up piano. I haven't learned guitar. I didn't learn Italian. I, I you know, I, I've got a fair amount of work to do. I have two teenage kids in the house. I got a dog that needs to be walked. I try to spend some time with my wife every day. So um, none of that has happened. I don't have that storybook uh, version of it, but just, you know, getting up and, and uh, you know, getting up every morning, taking a shower, getting dressed uh, for work, so to speak, uh, you know, walking the dog, making coffee, and then putting in a good eight, nine, ten hours of writing and podcasting almost every day since this started. I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud of that because the nature of my work is such that I could I could really blow a lot of it off and nobody would really know for a long time. And I haven't. Uh, 
so that's that's a long answer, but that's that's what I got for you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, obviously, we'll stay in touch during this, but I wish you the best of luck during it all. And very excited to keep hearing the podcast. And yeah, like I said, just thank you for doing that. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for just like having the ability to go ahead and talk to the chefs and have these hard conversations with them. I appreciate that very much. And same to you and keep doing what you're doing. Will do. Thank you, Andrew. All right, Ray. Thanks.